So I'm going to pray. And then we'll start. Father, I just thank you for this moment. Because you create moments. And you give us moments. And you give us moments of encounter with you. And you give us moments to remember forever. So Lord, I pray today as, as we spend this next few moments together that we would have an encounter with you. Lord, you're here already. You've been talking to us. You've been touching our hearts. You've been speaking to our minds, even through the songs, Lord. Father, right now I pray that through your word, which is alive and active and sharper than any double-edged sword, that you would speak to our hearts. And that you would change us into being what you want us to be and how you want us to be. And show us your heart for us and towards us and how you want your heart shown to this world through us. And I ask it in Jesus' name. You know, um, yesterday, they celebrated 50 years since man landed on the moon. I don't know. I think there was a lot of stuff on the TV last night about it. I didn't get to see it. Most of you are not old enough, but I actually remember watching that live. I was nine years of age. Would have been ten that year. Um, and I was standing, actually, sta- I wasn't sitting. I was standing in our front room in the house. Um, and there was a black and white telly in the corner. And I watched Neil Armstrong step on the moon. Um, and it etched in my memory for some reason or other. Because I think I knew it was historic. I knew there was something special about it. And something that I didn't know until this week was that the first liquid that was ever poured on the moon or the first food that was ever eaten on the moon was eaten and poured by a man called Buzz Aldrin who was the second guy. And it was communion. He was, he was an elder in the Presbyterian church. And he asked, in the Presbyterian church, lay people can't do communion. You have to get, so you had to get special permission. And he asked special permission, and he got alone of a little chalice, and he brought up a piece of the bread that they had had communion with in his church that week. And he brought that up with him, and the very first thing, because he said, this was an amazing feat of human ingenuity. It was absolutely amazing. There was wonderful things happened, and people really stepped out. But he said, he knew it would also open up the frontiers of showing more of God's creation and glory and give us an opportunity. And the scriptures say that the heavens declare the glory of God. And if you look up at the stars at night time, and you see the heavens and see what's around us, it's not very good in the city, because when we look up, you can't hardly see anything. But you go out into the countryside where it's black, and there's no street lights and all that, and look up. It's just like, it's like a sea of stars. It's phenomenal. And the God that we worship created all of them. He put them there. He made us. He put us on this little blue ball flying around space. And if you look at all the stats that go with that, it would just scare the life out. And you think, how in God's name do we survive? But we do, because he set it up perfect for us. And the other thing that was astounding about when I read through some of the stuff about the Apollo 11, the guy who was stuck in the little ship going around the the moon while the two boys were down on the moon, Collins was his name, he said he was looking and when they saw the moon and they got up close to it, it was like, oh my God, this is phenomenal. But he said, when we swung around the other side and we saw the earth, he said, that was the jewel. 
He said it was unbelievable. And if you ever think, and I haven't got them up there because I wasn't going here, but if you ever think of looking at those spaceship pictures of Earth, and it's just this beautiful blue and white ball floating in space, and the creative beauty of God. And there's moments like that that can take your breath away, but there's moments like that that give us an insight into how amazing God is and how wonderful he is. And the moment, and, and I don't know why, as a nine-year-old, the moment that, that Neil Armstrong stepped onto the moon etched into my memory, but it did. Maybe it was for today. I don't know. Maybe it was for today. But what other moments in life have you experienced where it's etched into your memory forever? Sometimes they're bad moments, aren't they? And then sometimes they're good moments. But each and every one of them if we take them, because Romans tells us that all things, God can work all things out for good. The bad ones and the good ones. Whatever's going on in your life, whatever's happened in your life, God can take that and somehow or other, he can weave it into a pattern that at the end of the day, it works out for good in our life. And we end up having a better life because of it. And we're going to look at something today that would have looked like a bad thing to be happening. We're going to look we started off last week looking at um, chapter 8 in Matthew. We've done a whole series during early part of the year on chapter 7. And Kim started last week talking about how God is willing, Jesus was willing to do stuff for us. And today, we're going to look at this story of a centurion and his servant. And this centurion had an opportunity to step into a moment. The person who he cared about was dying. And would be dead unless he stepped into a moment. And he had a moment to remember for the rest of his life. Because he had this encounter with Jesus. And what my prayer is for today, and I believe God's heart is for today, for each and every one of us is, that we will have an encounter today. Whatever day, it's the 24th of July, isn't it? Yeah, it's 1 o'clock on the 24th of July. That between this and the next 15 minutes, you could have an encounter with the living God. That will change you forever. That won't just be etched in your memory, but that will literally change your eternity. Let me read the story from Matthew. If you have a Bible and you want to follow me, it's chapter 8, verse 5 to 13, and it says, When Jesus had entered Capernaum, a centurion came to him asking for help. Lord, he said, my servant lies at home paralyzed and in terrible suffering. Jesus said to him, I will go and heal him. The centurion replied, Lord, I do not deserve to have you come under my roof. But just say the word and my servant will be healed. For I myself am a man under authority with soldiers under me. And I tell this one, go, and he goes, and that one, come, and he comes. And I say to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard this, he was astonished and said to those following him, I tell you the truth, I have not found anyone in Israel with such great faith. I see to you that many will come from the east and the west and will take their places at the feast with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. But the subjects of the kingdom will be thrown outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then Jesus said to the centurion, Go, it will be done just as you believed it would. And his servant was healed at that very hour. Um, There's a few bits in this I just want to point out that I think it's worth getting a hold of. Jesus was not from... Capernaum. He was from Nazareth. But he'd done a huge amount of his ministry in, in this place called Capernaum, which was on the sea. And five of the twelve disciples who became apostles came from this town. So he was known, I reckon, in this town. The centurion was what they called a Gentile. He wasn't a Jew. 
Jews were not allowed to associate with Gentiles. It was against their laws. Jesus would not have been allowed by their law to go into that man's home. It would have been wrong for him to do so. He was willing to step outside the box and do what was necessary to bring good into that situation. Last week we looked at he touched a leper who was, de- who was the walking dead, basically. And he wasn't allowed to do that either. If you read through the Gospels, you'll see he'd done several of his miracles on the Sabbath day, which again, we wasn't allowed to do. Jesus was never afraid of breaking a man's law for to bring good. Because God's law was a higher law. And Jesus came to heal and to save. And he came for to change things for the better. And these laws that men had made, not God's law, man-made laws, were stopping that happening. And you can look up the scriptures in Acts where Peter even says, we are not allowed to go into a Gentile's house. Jesus is telling this man, I'll go to your house. Will I go and heal him? A simple request. The scripture tells us in Hebrews that faith is the substance of things hoped for and not yet seen. Okay? It's the substance of things hoped for and not yet seen. It also tells us that every single one of us have been given a small portion of faith or a big portion of faith, a certain portion of faith. In Romans 12, 3, it says God has allotted to each a measure of faith. The faith is a tangible thing. All right? I walked with a man for many years who said I would have loved, I would love to have faith. And my continuous conversation with him was, but you have faith. And he's going, no, I don't. And I'm going, yes, you do. You just don't have it in the God I serve, but you have faith. Every person you ever meet has faith. Does that make sense? Some of them have faith in Man United. Some people yesterday had faith in Dublin that they were going to win the match last night. Their faith was rewarded. Some people for a most common, their faith wasn't rewarded. Some people have faith in Lowry winning the golf today because they've put money on it. Isn't that true? You go put a bet on something, what are you doing? You're exercising faith in the substance of things hoped for but not yet seen. And that's truth. May not be how we normally think of faith, but the reality of it is we all exercise faith every single day. I've said this a lot of times to a lot of people. You walk out of your house and go to a bus stop, you're exercising faith. Because it's the thing hoped for is that a bus is going to come around the corner, but can you see it? No. But have you stood at a bus stop waiting on a bus? Anyone here ever stood at a bus stop waiting on a bus? That's faith, isn't it? Especially Dublin bus some days. That's real faith. Not so bad now with the thing on the phone. Although this has happened to me a few times. I've stood at the bus stop. You know the, the fancy out now that tells you the numbers and what time they're coming at? And your one is one minute. No, three minutes. Two minutes. One minute. Arriving. Arriving. 20 minutes. You're like, did I blink? Where did my bus go? It's like, what happened? Okay. So, so here's the thing. Every time I stand at a bus stop, I exercise faith. Every time. Like... And I want to try and make this as rational as possible. Every time I get into a car, I exercise faith. That it's going to start. That I'm going to get to where I want to go. That, that hopefully we'll get there in one piece. Every time you get on a plane, you exercise faith. In the person who's driving the thing. That he's not drunk. Or drugged over. And he's going to get us there in one piece. 
we exercise faith all the time. When you say, have you ever said you're going to meet somebody and then you get there and they don't turn up and you've gone out of your way to get there? Okay? You've exercised faith. And then you go a second time to this person who said they're going to meet you there at a certain time and they still don't turn up. And then you go a third time. Okay? Now that's exercising real faith. Yeah, it might be burgeoning on the stupidity, but it's exercising faith. But here's the thing. Faith is the substance of things hoped for, but not yet seen. All right? This centurion was exercising faith. And the substance he hoped for was the healing of his friends. The thing he hadn't seen was the healing of his friends. Does that make sense? And in exercising this faith... I'll bet any money, this man was a Roman centurion. He was in charge of a hundred people. He wouldn't have been high up in the ladder, but he would have been high enough in the ladder to have some power and some say in what was happening around him. I'm guessing he had tried the doctors. I'm guessing he had tried the local medicine men or whoever it was that they had for to try and heal this guy. But somewhere in all of this, someone told him, Jesus might be able to do this. And he stepped out and went to that place. When we prayed here last week with a person with the sore knee, we stepped out in faith. We hoped there would be a healing. We couldn't see it. We didn't know. But we stepped into a place of hoping the things hoped for, but not yet seen. Faith is not blind. We don't do it stupidly. I don't walk out to a bus stop because I have never seen a bus before. Or no one has, I go to a bus stop because I know a bus will come. Because someone has told me that's where you get a bus. I get on a plane because I've got on a plane before and before I ever got on a plane, I watched other people getting on planes and getting off them alive. And thinking, that's a good chance I might get out of here in one piece. You sit on a chair in faith that it's not going to collapse underneath you. Why? Because you've seen people sit on chairs before. Do you ever see on a chair, watch someone sit on a particular kind of chair and it collapsed underneath them? Do you ever see that happen? And then you get offered one of them chairs. Do you be in a hurry to sit in it? No, because you have no faith in the chair because of what you've seen. You have an experience that has stopped you. Faith is not about being blind and some crazy foolishness of hoping against the impossible that's not going to happen. The faith that we have in Jesus Christ is based on evidence. It's based on facts. The faith we have is based on evidence. It's based, why did I think I could pray for someone and they'd be healed? Because I've seen God heal someone before. Do you know the very first time I ever prayed for someone to be healed? I had never seen anyone healed, but I had read about it in the scripture. I had evidence to back it on. The first time I do anything that I've never done before, if somebody gives me food to eat that I've never ate before, and I'm fussy with food, okay, I will ask them, have you ate this? I will look for evidence. So what I'm saying to you is, I want to talk to you about faith. I don't want you to have blind faith. I want you to have faith based on evidence. The evidence that Jesus Christ is alive and well and operating in the world and is very willing to step out of his box and the box that the world will put him in and move into your situation and change it forever. 
because he has done it in loads of other places and in loads of other times and in loads of other ways. And you do not have to have faith that's huge. You just have to have a measure. Just a measure. In Luke 17, it says you only have to have faith the size of a mustard seed. Jesus said, if you have faith the size of a mustard seed, you can tell this mountain to move. And it will move. But you have to have faith. Because faith, without faith, it's impossible to please God. Without faith, it's impossible to believe in God. You have to make that step. And if you, the bit that I had that conversation with that man that I used to walk with was, he had faith. He just wouldn't make the step of putting that faith into God. He was putting it into all the other things that were around him. But not into the one who could actually make the difference. Jesus is really willing to step out and do stuff for you. And he's willing to do more for you than you can ask or imagine. In Ephesians it says, To him who is able to do above and beyond all that we ask or think. Think about that for a minute. All that we ask or think, he will do away and beyond. So you ask God, when you just sort this situation out, and he's gone, yeah, I'll do that. But what you really need to be looking at, Brian, is all of this stuff as well. Because that's only one little bit of all of this. God, will you change that in my life? Yes, I will. But I'll also bring you in here, and I'll open up all of this stuff to you. The bit on our part is, one, to have the faith to ask, and two, then to have the strength to obey. Because a lot of us can get good at asking. But when God says, yes, but will you do this bit? They don't, we don't want to follow into that bit. I was telling someone a story this morning just about, um, we had a prayer meeting in, the ho- in our home. I was part of St. Mark's for nearly 15 years. And for several years, we had this lady coming every week looking for prayer for a new job. And there was usually a gang of people in the house and someone would give them the sympathy prayer and go, yeah, okay, we pray for you for a new job. And And then this week there was only four of us in the house. And this had gone on for a good few years. And anyway, she upped with it. Can you pray for a new job for me? And I went, just before we do that, have you ever given a CV to a company? And she went, no. I said, do you have a CV? No. I said, well, I'm not praying for a job for you. You get and do the bits you can do. And then we'll pray for job to bless that, God to bless that. Do you know what? Within two months, that girl was out of the job she'd hated for years and was gone back to college to retrain, to go and do something else. And now has a new job and has changed her life around. Why? God was always willing. But one of our problems is we want God to change things where we are. But he might be saying to just walk over there. The centurion wanted Jesus to fix the thing. Jesus said, I'd even go and fix it. I'll go to your home and I'll heal him. And the centurion copped this and he said, no, you have authority. You just say it and it'll happen. The servant wasn't even aware. He was in a fever, delusional. When you're praying for someone else, ask Jesus to step in and just do it. Because he will. He's not afraid to do that. When you're praying for yourself, ask Jesus to do it, but ask him what do you have to do as part of it. Because there will be a response. Jesus said to him in the end, go home, it will be done. Then Jesus said to him, it will be done just as you believed it would. And the servant was healed at that moment. 
He was basically saying to him, go home, it's done. The centurion's part was to go home. He needed to go and see it. So where do I think God wants to go with all of this this morning? Ephesians says, as far as by grace you have been saved, through faith, and that it's not from yourselves, it's a gift from God. Salvation is a gift from God, but faith is a gift from God. But he has given that gift to everybody. And whatever you're facing in life today, God wants you to know a couple of things. One, he wants you to know he's willing. He knows about that and he's interested and he's willing to change it. He wants you to know you don't have to have a huge faith. You don't have to believe that your faith can somehow bulldoze your problem out of the way. You just need to believe God can do it. Just believe God can do it. And then ask him. And he is willing to do more than we can ever ask or imagine. If we're willing to step into that place. So I want to ask you, what is God asking you? Well, you're asking him, what is he asking you? I'm asking him, can I be healthier? And he's saying, yeah, you can, Brian, but you need to stop eating the rubbish and go for a walk. I'll help you, and I'll even make it happen. But you have your bit to do. What's the bit in your life? Are you assured of your place in heaven? If you're not, then step into that place with God. Because he's here and he's going, come, you can have it. Have you got situations going on at home, financially, relationally, health-wise? Have you stuff going on in your family? Then believe God can. Because he can and he will and he wants to. So faith is not something you have to make up. It doesn't have to be based on your imagination. It can be based on fact. It can be based on evidence and it can be based on your history. And every time you do something and step out in faith for God, you gain that little bit more strength to step out into the next thing. It doesn't mean your problems disappear. Who knows in life problems don't go away. They usually just get bigger. Whether we solve them or we don't solve them, the next one is usually bigger than the last one. But the more you exercise faith in God and believe in him to get into your problem and help you solve it, the stronger you will get with him to be able to face anything that this world can throw at you. Anything. There is nothing can happen to you or to me on this planet that God cannot handle. Nothing. Even death. Nothing that God cannot handle. God has already handled death. Jesus better. He rose from the grave. He gave that promise to us. So, I'm going to finish. I want to ask you to close your eyes for a minute. And this is just about respecting the people around you. And I want to ask you a couple of questions. And I don't want you to put your hands up in the air. I'm not looking for a response to me. I'm looking for a response from your heart to the God of the heavens who's right here in this room with you right now. And I want to say to you that I believe God wants to say there's someone in this room who has somebody at home, someone in their life who is sick. And Jesus wants to say, will I go and heal them? I got that really strong during the week that Jesus wants to go and heal that person. But your role is to ask him, 
and to understand the authority of Jesus when you do it. That he can do it in his way, maybe not the way you expect him to, but in his way. I want to say if you're in this room and you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, as your Lord, then now is an opportunity for you to introduce yourself to him. And to simply say, Jesus, take my life. Just simply, Jesus, take my life. And if you do that today, then please talk to one of us afterwards and we will help you to just continue that conversation and to learn how to have that conversation going into the future. And if you're here and you are facing some mountain in your own life, then I want to invite you to invite Jesus into that situation. To invite Jesus into that situation. There is no mountain too high, no valley too deep, no difficulty too great that the love of God cannot reach, that the grace of God cannot wash over, and that the strength of God cannot carry you through. There is no sorrow too great you cannot heal. There is no pain too great you cannot relive. The only thing that stops him moving in our lives is us. So as we take this few seconds, just between you and the living God, just speak to him and let him speak to your heart. God, you know the hearts of everyone in this room. You know the lives that we have lived, the lives that we're living right now. But you also know the plans that you have for us and the lives that you created us to live. And Lord, if we are far from those places, I pray that you would help us to redirect so that we would be walking in your plans for our lives. I want to ask you, God, that if there are people in this room who do not understand or have that assurance of a relationship with you, that this moment, that would change forever. I want to pray for the problems that people are facing. I want to pray for whatever needs are sitting here right now. And even to those at home who may listen to this later, that you would reach in. you would be everything that they need to be because you are so Father I pray blessing over your people I pray and ask you to make your face shine on them I pray that your peace that passes all understanding will be there and would guard their hearts and their minds as they go through day by day this week as they step into their lives as they step into this world I pray you encourage them and strengthen them and let your love flow into them and out all around and I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.